Chris. I am your host and moderator, Varun, joined as always by three of my good friends and the best sports analysts around. Chris, Rahul, and Nick. How you doing, gentlemen? Yo, just fantastic. Yep, this is a special episode of DC Sports Brain Trust. We are all in the same room. First time in DC Sports Brain Trust history, we are all speaking face to face. Amazing. Due to now the coronavirus. We can see each other's faces, see each other's reactions, and potentially slap someone if they have a stupid take. I, I can see or, uh, Rahul and Nick with their hatred of the Redskins boiling. all right. <laughs> but you know what? We are not going to start with football. We're going to start with hockey for once. So let's start with the Capitals. So let's talk about some capital players that have exceeded expectations uh, this this season before uh, sports stopped airing. Uh, and recent poll from The Athletic from Tariq Al-Bashir uh, posted which players surpassed your expectations this season on the Capitals. And leading, leading the charge was Jacob Verona with 226 votes, followed by Ilya Samsonov with 160 votes, John Carlson with 96 votes, Garnett Hathaway with 83 votes, and then Ovi with 53 votes. Chris, I want to start with you. What is your thoughts on this poll? Seems about right to me. Um, I mean, Marana has had a fantastic year for, for – uh, I mean, he already had more goals and assists than he got all last season in, what, 13 last games. So, I mean, just that alone, he's a young player. He's improving every year. So, I think he's going to be a top six guy for many years to come for the Capitals. Did you see him as a – leader similar to the goal that Ovi's in now it's, it's hard, hard to say, say with guys that are not from pretty much the u.s or canada because you don't know exactly how much english they speak like backstrom even isn't a big team leader just because he can't connect that well ovechkin even kind of just got rusted into the role so it's, it's hard to fair. say i mean I mean, but, I mean, Ovi is doing a good job as a leader. I mean, it helps that he's the best DC sports athlete in history. Yeah. Um, but I would say he's doing a good job despite, you know, not necessarily, oh, yeah. being, not necessarily being American or Canadian, being a Russian player. And I, I'm by no means saying, like, it's impossible. It's just harder for a guy from, like, the Czech, Republic, the Czech Ru- Russia, any of those countries over there because their English just isn't as, as good as, you know, Canada, U.S., any of those the states. Well, Nick, let's get your thoughts on this poll. What do you think about it? Um, I definitely agree with everything but one thing. I think Ovi being on this list doesn't make a whole lot of sense just because my expectations for Ovechkin are already through the roof. So I don't know if he can surpass them necessarily. Uh, That being said, I guess the fact that he's getting up there in age and just every year he just seems to be so durable and doesn't slow down is kind of – surpassing expectations in a way, but for me, it's just something that's been expected for so long. Um, You know, I mean, obviously he's number five on the list, and I think, uh, you know, Vrana was on his way to a 40-goal season. Sam Sonoff looks like a guy that's, you know, the future starting goalie for this team. Um, With Holpe, you know, finishing his contract here, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen after that. Um, I'd say consider Holpe being here in another year. What do you think, Paul? So I think um, if you just look at the contract, uh, and I feel like it was kind of a good contract for 
I still talk about it. Whereas Rana, I don't know if you're sure about how much he kind of went over fan Agudas are definitely two uh, important players that we want to see well-developed for uh, the Capitals' defense. Because, I mean, we, we've, all, we've all seen that the Capitals can score pretty well on offense, but the defense has always been a bit of a, bit of a struggle, a bit of a weak point. Um, do you all think that Gudas and Siegenthaler have it in them to become bad, like good defensive men, or is it something that they may struggle with? I mean, they didn't show... A lot of upside this year, I'd say. Like, there wasn't a lot of they're better than the other guy that I saw this year. So, I I, I, I don't really see much coming from them as of right now. If they do some improvement next year, uh, I mean, first year, like, it's hard to say. But if they don't do anything second year, they might not even be on the team in three years, especially for a guy that age. Where they're like looking for new guys to come through. That is point, Nick. What about you? What do you think? Well, Gudis is past the stage of being in development. He's almost thirty years old, and you know we traded away uh, Matt Niskanen for him, and so you were kind of hoping to get maybe a little more out of him. Um, you know, it's hard to say who really won that trade. I think both guys have their strengths and weaknesses, and I think Niskanen. Uh, has a little bit more of a scoring ability. Gudis is a little bit more of that uh, nastiness, you know, that factor that Tom Wilson brings to the team that Garnett Hathaway brings. And uh, so, you know, it's you're getting different things with both of those guys. Um, so we wanted a little more nastiness. And so I, I, don't, I don't know what to really think about Gudis. I think he's been kind of hit or miss. Um, Siegenthaler is so young. I mean, he's like 22 years old. Um, you know, his first full year out of Hershey, and he's definitely raw. Yeah. Uh, so there's more to expect from him down the road, hopefully. Um, but, you know, there's some other guys waiting in the wings at Hershey, too. Speaking of Hershey, I want to do a quick shout-out. They extended their agreement with Caps to the 2023-2024 season. Should pretty good stuff there. Love to see it. Um, but I want to talk I guess. about – not really a surprise, but – Love, yeah. I mean, we, just, I mean, we just love to see minor league players continue to get uh, the support they they deserve. At or, the NFL. Yeah, at the NFL. At the NFL. Okay, but I do want to talk about one more thing with the Capitals. Um, seeing how good Sam Samsonov has been at goalie, um, what does this mean for Braden Holtby? Cool. I want to start with you. I think that this is We all 
In the NHL nowadays, you pretty much have to have two goalies. You're not going to survive with only one guy to play goalie for 81, 82 games. So I'm not. I mean, you have to have two capable goalies on your team if you want to make run. I mean, maybe it kind of depends on how good your starting goalie is. Like, obviously, if you have one of the best goalies in the league, like they're gonna play more. But if you have like two guys that are average, like they're gonna trade off a lot more, like 70 percent for the starting guy. Yeah, I think Holtby's on the way out. Um, you know, I think that the caps are pretty strapped for money. You know, going into the future, they've got a lot at of guys. all DC sports. Yeah, they've got a lot of money tied up in the next few years. I mean, you know, Oshi, uh, Rana's got one more year on his deal. Uh, guys like Orlov, Oshi, Backstrom have extensions. Um, you know, and Ovi's looking at another extension here in a year. Um, they've been right at, at the right at the limit of cap, and they've had to play. They've had to play a little bit of Russian roulette this year with the people coming and going from Hershey just because of salaries, because they're right at the peak. And, uh, you know, I hope he's a top guy and he's going to demand top money. Um, you know, he's earned it. And, you know, he's going to get paid by somebody and it's probably not going to be us. So I think you've got Sam Sonoff, who's more than it, – it's going to be a test for him. But I, I think he's shown that, you know, he's, what, 22 years old and he's more than capable of being the full-time starter for the Caps. Um, you know, you've got Phoenix Copley who played a lot of games last year who's in Hershey and he could be a backup, but you probably want to find somebody else besides Copley. I mean, I imagine they'll bring Copley out up with uh, Sam Sonoff because as a backup, they got to move Copley at some point. They're not going to throw him down in Hershey forever. So, you know, you know, you have to go out and try to get another goalie in free agency. You see them bringing up Copley from Hershey? No, I mean, like we've been saying. They don't have a lot of cap space as it is, and they got a they've got a couple of resigns that they're going to need to make. So I don't I don't see any real big splashes or any splash at all at the goalie position, especially because Samsonov has had such a good season. If Samsonov wasn't doing well, like yeah, maybe. So I so the general consensus here seems to be bless you that uh, that Holtby is pretty much gone. If Sam Sonoff didn't have the year that he had, I think we'd be having a different discussion. And Holpe would, we'd be talking about ways to re-sign Holpe, but I think, you know, since we have that option with Sam Sonoff, I, I think it, it's just, yeah, I think that's a consensus. And most Caps fans seem to think that this is Holpe's final ride with us. So it would kind of be a shame if we didn't get an opportunity to, you know, chase the Cup one more time with two good goalies. I'm just scared to like yeah. Yeah. He was. He's also pretty young too, and we haven't seen him this year. I, I don't really know what he's done in Hershey this past year, but um, have to look that up. But uh, you know, he's also young, so he might get. He, he might be tell you. 
he was in the 2017-2018 regular season, he was at a 89.6% save percentage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not bad for a backup, but you want guys over 90%, and elite goaltenders are usually 92-93%. He's trending in the wrong direction right now. Like He has the same save percentage with the Bears as he had with the Caps in 2018-2019. So he's... I mean, his goal was against average is is pretty solid, but that's going to be tough. Like, he's going to be their guy probably as their backup, but he's probably so, not. I guess one question I had, you brought up a good point that I, I just wanted to get clarity on, was um, the idea of having two goalies. Is this similar to, like, having multiple pitchers in baseball? Kind of like have your guys rotate in and out so they can get rest or it's more of a – yeah, I mean, like a, like a kind of play. It's it's kind of similar in in baseball and hockey. Like hockey goalies need their day off every once in a while. They can't play sixty minute games so much that uh, I mean, they're gonna fall apart. There's not a team in the NHL that has one guy starting every single game in the season. There are, there are teams that rely on their starters more, um, but yeah, you know, re- regardless. You can't have a starting goalie playing every single regular season game. Um, generally, you want your best goalie, you know, ripe and, uh, you know, healthy for the playoffs. Like our playoff run will be, you know, we, we had Grubauer starting the first two games because he was hot, but he got cold real quick. And after Hopi went in, you know, he played the whole playoffs. And, you know, that's like a month and a half worth of hockey nonstop. So, you know, as a matter of fact, the Caps, um, going back, talking about um, Copley, he might not even be the guy because they have a guy named Vita Vanacek who will probably come up with them. He's had much better stats, like a 9.17 save percentage and a 2.26 goals against, and he's a lot younger. Um, he was their second round pick in 2014. He's never played with the team, so I think they'll probably give him a shot next year, and Copley will just stay with the Hershey Bears as an injury replacement. Well, what about you? Haven't heard from you. What do you think about what do you think is going to happen with Caps? Uh, yeah, that's the Caps situation. Doesn't seem like every goal a really good goal, and just kind of hold like this to be kind of over. Um, and Lady Brother, that's something we rely on. It's going to be on. It's just, you know. I mean, but with the for some of these players, we're lowering the taxes for subsequent years. So we tend to avoid that capacity just a little bit to have a backup contract for another goal. So maybe there is an offer of free agency um, for a kind of an upgrade piece. Um, but what we have now is a good goal. I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't see well. We, we, they wouldn't go to Copley. They would get probably go to Vanacek. Um, all but guaranteed. There's no reason to go with Copley over Vanacek, just because Vanacek's younger and has the better stats. So he, he he's I almost guarantee he'll be the guy that they bring up and give a shot. Like he's going to be the Samson like Samsonov this year. That'll be Vanacek next year, um, assuming Hopey doesn't come back up the team. Good stuff, gentlemen. Good stuff talking about the Caps. Why don't we go ahead and move into good stuff. The Redskins. So let's go ahead and talk about the Redskins. Are things starting to turn around for them? 
The big thing I want to talk about really quickly is the Quentin Dunbar fiasco that just occurred. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know, um, Quentin Dunbar and uh, is it DeAndre Baker? Allegedly. 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 Um, at a barbecue, robbed a bunch of people, armed robbery, and basically booked it, tried to get away, got arrested, and everything. A uh, quick thing from the article. Apparent, supposedly, per the report, they came away with four watches. A Rolex valued at $18,000. A Hubolt valued at $25,000. An Audemars Piguet valued at $17,500. And a knockoff Richard Milley valued at $600. And the victims alleged that they also had almost $13,000 in cash also stolen. So, Rahul, Nick, I'll start with Nick here. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> um, you know... Uh... Rahul and I had this argument for a long time about Quentin Dunbar. And of course, we, we didn't expect anything like this to happen. But Dunbar, when he was here, man, he flashed, showed a lot of promise to, to be a top end corner, but he just couldn't stay healthy. And, you know, he started causing drama when Rivera got here. He didn't want to be here. And they, you know, they got rid of him. They dumped, they dumped him to Seattle for like a fifth round pick. And, um, you know, there were a lot of mixed feelings about that. I was okay with it just because I wanted to start fresh, um, you know, get rid of the guys that don't want to be here anymore. You know, like Bruce Allen, like he, 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 it'd be like a pride thing for him, you know, just out of his own ego. He'd keep guys here against their will, um, you know, to show who was boss. And uh, the new regime came in and offloaded guys that didn't want to be here anymore. And it kind of just feels like, Something that might actually be – let me rephrase that. It, it seems like the winds of fortune might be starting to shift with the Redskins. Like we dumped a guy for a fifth-round pick, and now all of a sudden it looks like a brilliant move because, you know, like there, there's no way that Quentin Dunbar is going to be in the NFL this year. Um, you know, this is going to cause a lot of issues, whether he's still with the Seahawks or he gets suspended or what. Um, this is going to be hanging over their heads for a long time, yeah. and it's not our fucking problem. <laughs> love to see it. Yeah, the Redskins actually dodge dodge the hit this time. Usually they dive right into them. Yeah, usually they give up themselves because you know it's the cost of doing business. Cool. What about you? What do you what do you take away from this Dunbar Baker situation? I think with Quinton Dunbar, um, as mentioned, I thought he was going to have a great career with the Seahawks before all this came out. And keep in mind, none of this, sh- none of this shit actually happened when he was on the team. Like the worst that happened was during this last season where he was having like these Twitter tirades with like with his agent, what was coming out um, in the NFL world, and then him going like, "No, no, that's not me," or like, "Oh, well, I'm glad Norman is gone," or stuff stuff like that kind of like subtle but not subtle at the same time so that kind of was brewing all the time with the trent williams so people were a bit glad that um quentin dunbar was off the team but they felt like we got quote-unquote robbed by the seahawks for just giving up for a fifth rounder and now we we really gained value out of nothing so worse than nothing so hold on quick question so okay so dunbar was so dunbar was in the draft he was picked up by the Redskins. So, and I know that a big thing for scouts, especially, 
is looking at character issues, making sure that guys don't necessarily have too many off the field problems. Just despite the fact that Quentin Dunbar was not drafted at, at all, he was, he was an undrafted pickup. Did they not like look into his potential character issues from his time at Florida? So what's crazy about his time as Florida was that he was a wide receiver and he got converted to cornerback while he was with the Redskins under Jay Gruden. And that's when he like really blossomed into like one of the better quarterbacks, at least for half a season. And so they didn't really have that many expectations or character issues or anything with Dunbar. And he never exhibited something like that. Like you would have Monte Nicholson that we brought up in the past uh, podcast for all of his uh, escapades and stuff. So, but Dunbar never really had anything. He was sad that Gruden left. He was like one of the two people in the organization that was sad that Gruden got fired. Who was the other one? Dan Snyder? Chris Thompson. <laughs> I was going to say Dan Snyder. I don't think Dan Snyder was sad that Gruden had to leave. It was an executive decision. So wait, so Chris Thompson and Quentin Dunbar are the only Gruden defenders? <laughs> yeah, no, they were really sad that he left because they were the ones uh, that he believed in a lot. And Chris Thompson, honestly, would have probably been one of those running backs that are picked up in the late rounds and then discarded after a few injury-filled seasons, and Gruden really stuck up with him. And Quinn Dunbar, he had his whole position change and blossomed. Um, he really got better as a cornerback, and he was kind of a pick machine. It's just you can't predict this stuff happening. Like, you're a star cornerback. You can't. So it's just do that to you. <laughs> going to jail, you're probably not going to be very good. He could have made so much money bro, if he just bro, kept his act together. Do you imagine that endurance? He just had to keep his act together during quarantine. He could have, but he wanted the money now, Rahul. I think it was more of a pride it's thing. It's his money, and he needs it now. So what was in the TMZ report was that they had lost 70k. And I think it was more of a pride thing to get that money back somehow, even though they probably weren't really begging for it. So that's a fair point. Chris, what do you have to say on this Quentin Dunbar fiasco? I mean, he's an idiot. Like, he's an NFL football player. He doesn't need money. He's just being stupid. That's that's the long story short. Is but Chris, his he wanted to do a high. Probably he was probably bored. He wanted to do something, and that's what he went with. But Chris, his lawyer came out and said that they got a signed letter from everyone at the party, almost like like a chaperone giving up a note for a field trip or some shit like that. That he Quentin Dunbar was never at the party. That yeah, he was, right. There were three getaway <laughs> vehicles, but one didn't have Quinn Dunbar's name on it. And that's what the lawyer is alleging. So right. Right. They, they paid off those other guys. They gave them more than the money that they lost. Like, get out of here. <laughs> they probably gave them all like three grand and said, well, fuck it. We're, we're good to go. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and shift away from Quentin Dunbar real quick and talk about uh, Dwayne Haskins. Some recent photos appeared on social media, and uh, he's looking in, in uh, football shape. You guys, are you guys excited about that? Yeah, I'm thrilled. Um, 
I can clearly hear you are thrilled, and I can see it on your face as well. Finally, I can see it on your face. More, more good news for the Redskins. Who would have thought in back-to-back days we're seeing good things about the Redskins? Or, you know, crisis averted because it's the Seahawks' problem, not the Redskins' problem. Which is- yeah, Pete Carroll is probably losing his shit as we speak. Probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've seen a few photos of Haskins and – like a month or so ago, I was like, I think he's, he's looking a little slim. And uh, some more photos came out today, and I'm like, yeah, he's definitely lost some weight. So, you know, he, weight wasn't an issue for him. I mean, he was maybe not Ben Roethlisberger, maybe not Jameis Winston, but, you know, he could have Ben lost. Roethlisberger is an amazing player. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah he's in great shape. <laughs> He's not Roethlisberger, but he could have lost a little weight, and supposedly he's lost like 11 pounds and like 7% body fat, which those numbers don't add up at all. I think he was like probably pushing 240 at the end of the year, and he's down to 220. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. The one thing I'm happier about for that, Nick, is that he lost weight, but you could see that he was cutting uh, with his leg. That Remember, he after the Packers game, he actually got – uh, pretty much knocked out, and Dan Snyder went to the locker room and told him, hey, man, you should sit this one out. Let Case Keenum or Colt McCoy or whoever it was at the time to play the rest of the game. So I'm glad that he is back in shape um, and he's able to do it. I think that weight loss is good, probably more for his, like, motivation and, like, you know, kind of, like, all that stuff more than it is for his actual football ability because he was still kind, like, in college, he never had to be mobile. He could, he got fifty touchdowns being a pocket statue Eli Manning as quarterback. So I mean this is a good thing, but like is it really gonna make him more of a mobile factor in the NFL? And I'm like, he's never displayed that before in college. Maybe so. maybe he's trying to change it a little bit. Maybe he's trying to be a little bit more like Lamar Jackson. Maybe not Lamar Jackson, but I mean he's he's mobile in the pocket. But I mean maybe he's trying to like take some pieces from other quarterbacks that he hasn't used before to try and like really improve himself. I mean, comparing it to Juan Soto, like he's always been trying to improve himself. You know, Dwayne Haskins might be trying to do the same thing and seeing what other players do and what they're into. There's some kind of meme that's going on uh, with among Redskins fans that are like, why is Redskins, why is Haskins out of the playbook? He's out there trying to get thin on the field and stuff like that. He's going to be the playbook 24-7 and understanding it. And it's like, oh my God, give it a rest. Is that a meme or is that something? No, people actually say that yeah. on Twitter. I was quite the not meme. even joking. That was like a solid paragraph there. <laughs> Memes are usually like, I don't know, seven, eight words. No, that was like 60 words. Redskins fans actually he say was, that on he Twitter. Was like when Haskins looks at the playbook, but he's out on the field getting skinny, and then he looks at the playbook again, and then it's just the reaction. So that's what I heard from the whole thing. I have no idea what you're saying. He's gone off the rails. I've never gone off the rails. <laughs> I'm as straight as they come. I want to move away from talking about Dwayne Haskins and talk about the front office, which is like the bane of Redskins fans' existence, um, and talk about Malcolm Blacken, who is now the senior director of player development. Nick, uh, you were interning for the Redskins for a summer, and you got to know some of the front office folks. Uh, what do you think of Malcolm? He's Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, you know, his job there is really to help – the younger players transition uh, into professionals and how to manage their money, um, you know, and just how to be an adult in the NFL. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot that goes into that player development thing. And, uh, you know, Malcolm was a former 
strength and conditioning coach for the Redskins uh, and, you know, left for some time and actually came back as the uh, director of player development. Um, you know, so there's a lot that goes into his job. You know, he's a mentor and very important part of the building. Um, and, and yeah, it sounds like in this off season that he played a pivotal role in, um, in screening some of our potential draft picks, you know, a guy that we drafted in the fourth round, Sadiq Charles from LSU, who's going to be probably a starter on our offensive line this year. Um, you know, he fell to the fourth round because he had a weed suspension, I believe it was. And, you know, he had served a multiple game suspension at LSU. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely seems to have uh, been very honest and upfront about it in the process. And uh, it sounds like uh, Malcolm Blacken was heavily involved in, you know, getting to know him before the draft. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, played a big role in us selecting him. What do you think about this promotion? So I think um, really uh, it was very important how Rivera said that they signed off on Sadiq Charles after Malcolm Blacken's approval, basically. And when Sadiq Charles interviewed with the Redskins as they were interviewing all of the draft picks, he said that he mentioned a lot about uh, Mal oh, about Black, and he was like, yeah, he talked to me. They did a background investigation. They interviewed me. They pretty much know everything about me during my tenure here and even like before that um, at LSU. So I think they did – he was pivotal in that, um, and he'll, he'll probably be as important going forward. Um Base unless he, of course, moves from the team or gets promoted or anything like that. But he's had a had a huge role um, as part of the front office in looking at some of these players. Um, on the opposite end, I think Doug Williams, who also had a role in player development, he kind of got, I wouldn't say demoted, but he pretty much got cut off from the front office. And he has expressed some bitterness about that that he wished he still had as much a role in draft, in the draft. Um, but it we really aren't hearing as much about Doug Williams as we used to uh, under the Bruce Allen administration. He's so he's a senior VP, right? A player development? Yep. So, so are they are they clashing? So they aren't – neither of them report to each other. They both report up to Kyle Smith. They both report to Kyle Smith. Yep. So it's not like Williams to Black and Black and to Smith. No, no Smith or uh, uh, Doug Williams reports to Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera, yeah. I think Black and probably reports to the coach too. Yeah, probably. So, I think I thought one reported to Smith, um, but they might both report to Rivera. But, so they're both they're both reporting to Rivera. So. You could see that perhaps in their, even though their title, obviously titles could be meaningless in this situation, but their their roles are essentially identical, right? Am I getting this right? No. Um, no. So essentially Doug Williams in the Bruce Allen administration, he was part of personnel, which is running the draft. Okay. Um, Kyle Smith was running the draft, but Doug Williams had the senior VP of player personnel job, uh, title, which is personnel that's bringing in free agents, that's drafting players. 
Um, and then Blacken and, was getting them like. And Blacken was the player development director. Um, and what happened was when we cleared house at the end of last season, uh, we kept Doug Williams on, but we changed his title from senior VP of player personnel to senior VP of player development, which is kind of like a way of saying we want you here in a ceremonial role because you're Doug Williams, you won a Super Bowl. And you know you're a part of the team. And we don't so he's like to, a brand ambassador, basically. Yeah, we don't want to unceremoniously fire you, but we also don't want you in personnel anymore because we want Kyle Smith to run personnel. And yeah, we need to move forward in a different direction. Um, and so that's kind of their way of doing it. And so that's why he's the senior VP of player development. So I think his role is kind of as a. It, it's. I think Malcolm Black has been doing it in a long time, and he's probably doing a lot of the player development um, day to day there. But I think Doug Williams is more there as a mentor. And um, yeah, it's, I think that's pretty much it. Maybe, so probably going back to Doug Williams, you could actually hear some of the moves that he did. Like he took credit. Like he was a big reason why Adrian Peterson is a Washington Redskin. He also talked a lot about how he and the team, the front office, were really gung ho about getting Paul Richardson, which turned out to be a massive uh, bust of a signing. So, kind of take the good with the bad uh, with uh, Doug Williams there. But going on with the kind of cer- ceremonial kind of role, um, being a mentor. Uh, to Haskins is a pretty big job in all of that, but he is out of the public uh, eye, as it were. And he was, during the Bruce Allen administration, kind of a shield uh, during those pretty awful interviews that he got slammed for. So he's kind of out of that spotlight um, and kind of in the broom closet a little, but I think he still has an important place on the team as kind of a mentor, kind of like an Alex Smith kind of role. Makes a lot of sense. Fun little fact: my, well, I, I know you, I know Nick or whole, you know this, Chris. You may not know this, but my mom is actually knows Malcolm Blacken, um, because since the Redskins headquarters is in Ashburn, the closest DMV like of substantial size is in Leesburg, whereas the two biggest offices are in Tyson's and Arlington. But for anyone from this area, they obviously know that that's a bit of a distance from Ashburn. Um, but uh, yeah, my mom used to be the manager at the Leesburg DMV, and. Uh, she met Malcolm several times when she he brought like sign like draft picks signings like from out of state so they can get like Virginia licenses and stuff. It's pretty cool. And didn't your dad meet Sean Taylor? My dad, dad my dad did meet Sean Taylor. Um, this is this is a fun story. So my dad doesn't follow uh, sports like that, and um, he Sean Taylor walked into the to the uh, DMV that he's working at at the time. And um, he, like everyone, every all of his coworkers are freaking out. He's like, "Oh my god, it's Sean Taylor, it's a Redskins player!" And my dad didn't know who he was. My dad just knew that the Redskins were subpar at that point in time. Um, I believe this was back when Gibbs was the coach. Um, he, Sean Taylor, pulled up to the counters, and my dad got his paperwork, saw his occupation as a Redskins player. He's like, "Oh, you play for the Redskins." And Sean Taylor's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Redskins player. And my dad says to his face, dude, the Redskins suck. <laughs> to Sean Taylor's face. Um, and that's probably hearsay for anyone to do. This is the but... man who basically decapitated a punter in the Pro Bowl. 
Yes. My dad said to Sean Taylor's face that the Redskins suck. Um, and Sean Taylor took it in stride and responded with, bro, that's the offense. I just play defense. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, you know, rest in peace, Sean Taylor, and a, and, a, and, a, and a good sport for rolling with my dad's, uh, my dad's comments. That's a pretty cool story, though. Um, but, yeah, no, want to move on from football now, uh, talk about baseball and the greatest team in baseball, the Washington Nationals, the reigning world champion Washington Nationals. Make that in case anyone has forgotten, the Nets did win the World Series this past year because we haven't had sports in this century. Just want to make it clear for any Mets fans, any Braves fans, any Phillies fans, any Yankees fans listening, the Nationals are the world champions of baseball. So <laughs> I want to talk about you. You just kind of forget about the 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 cheat strokes, the asterisks. That was our. <laughs> We're doing wonders for our Texan fan base. <laughs> Yeah, all those people from Houston listening, go fuck yourself. To anyone from Houston that actually listens to this, like, we, feel, we feel bad for you because like, you as like, fans, you were rooting for this team and then you found out that you that your team is a bunch of fucking cheaters. And if you were to feel bad, like, you feel bad for you, but if you're still defending the team despite what happened, politely go. So, yeah, that's 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 kind of in the past, but uh, yeah. Apparently, from what I've been hearing recently, there's been some talk with uh, Bryce Harper talking about that same World Series. Um, right. Yeah. So Bryce Harper did an interview, and uh, he made some comments with agent Scott Boris uh, that after the Nats had signed Patrick Corbin, he said they could be the World Series team. Could be. Could be bullshit. Bryce PR Let's talk about whether it's bullshit or legitimate. Chris. I feel like it's bullshit. Like I, I like he's trying to get I think he's trying to get back in the good graces with, with DC fans. You think he realized it's signing with Philly's a mistake? I don't think he thinks that. I think Never mind. I, 313 million reasons not to think that. I I think he realizes that the way he left was not the best way to do it. Um, so I think he's kind of trying to regain some fans, um, in air quotes. But I, I think this is kind of bullshit and just a, a PR move by his camp. Um, I think he's yeah. just. I think he's just trying to get in the headlines. I don't know if it's a getting in the good graces of the Nats yeah. fans. I don't know if he gives a shit because when they came back here, you know, like. He and his wife were like talking smack about Nats, you know, like drunk fans that were hollering at him. And it's like, it was yeah. like, I'm pretty sure they were like Red Sox fans or something. But I mean, to be fair, all like, hey, hey, hi. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, that was um, pretty recent. And that was like his second week with the team or with the Phillies. So there is some like bad, there was a lot of bad blood there um, at the beginning and on both sides. Um, I think it's still warranted for the Nats. I don't see why. Well, Har- I think Harper only hated the Nats because the Nats hated him, and he's that type of guy that he just he he wants to be loved so badly or hated. He just flourishes on both. So, what do you think? Do you think Harper's bullshitting? Or do you think that I actually think 
differently that he's not bullshitting because he doesn't owe anything to Nats fans or really any of the DC fan base anymore. He's like has a fan base in Philly. They hate him. They hate every player. <laughs> they hate everyone. Yeah. They hate I mean, you just look at it, if you look at if you remember Jason Worth when he came over to the Nats. Yeah. They booed the shit out of him, like worse than what we did to Bryce Harper. It was they pretty brutal. Them. Like they were terrible to do. They were throwing batteries at him. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Santa. Yeah. yeah. So they they that was our whole story for a while was the Phillies and Jason Worth. Um, I think Jason like Jason Worth won't go back to Philly because of that. I I can't. I'm not. He identifies sure that, more as a national than no. He I mean yeah. he comes back to Nats games all the time. He's he's, he's a big surprise. Because he kind of had an Anthony Rendon vibe to him while he was in that um, with the media, so I was like, "Yeah, he'll probably ride off into the sunset, do his own thing." But he's he's actually been kind of involved with the team. Um, there's a lot of players that have retired from the Nats. A lot of yeah, yeah. But I would say, like, just going on about um, Harper is that I don't really feel like this was a falsehood that he would. It's just kind of weird to put out there in their interview uh, just like that and not trying to get in any good graces of someone. So, I don't know. I feel like that. But I will say, like, trying to move on from Harper, one of the worst things that he ever, like, one of the lasting memories was him in that stupid Las Vegas jersey oh, in yeah. the hockey game. I mean, oh my god! At least, that. like, so, show some support for your home team that has finally made it and has a good chance yeah. of winning it all. Like, it's just, it's I, felt I, so sh- fucking shitty. Honestly, or at least watch it from home. Like, why do you even yeah. have to get videotape wearing a jersey? It's just. I think oh. I think he is. I think he's trying to get back in good, better graces with Mads fans. Um. You know, um, I was thinking about something. You remember what Harper said when we signed Scherzer? He said, where's my ring? So it's not the first time. I think Harper also thought that like one of the Nats' weaknesses was not having that third pitcher. Which I don't think is true. I think they just – I honestly, they had more clutch players this year than they have ever had. Like they had Rendon who doesn't have a whole – I would say, uh-huh. like, wouldn't you say this year they had the most pitching power out of like any starting? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they picked up Patrick Corbin, and that's going to be a huge pickup no matter right. what. Um, and Anibal did very well in the playoffs as well as a fourth piece. So Almost a no hitter. Yeah, just having those four guys right there at the top of the rotation, like, that's a better starting four than I think they've ever had. Um, their fifth was like up in the air. Um, that'll be interesting this next year with Fetty, but. I think having that four definitely helped, but we'll see. I think also, like, the clutch players of Juan Soto, which is something they never really had. Anthony Rendon, who they had, um, they just are more uh, – Howie, who they never really had a guy like that in previous runs. They just had a lot more guys that are just – potentially strong after things. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he wasn't with the team last year. But... Well, the last playoffs, he was clutch for the Brewers during that game. Yeah. Um. So they didn't really had guys that I was like were had that non-existent clutch factor. Um. That they did this year, and like time and time again, Howie and and Soto and you know them, but. 
But you could like in the last playoff exit by the Nationals, you could like when the bats got cold, like when everything just went to shit. It's just like that never really happened. No, I mean that was the big difference between yeah. the Nats this year and the Nats in previous year, which was you know they had their bats never went cold, or if they did, not for more than a game. But yeah, pretty much. I want to move on from talking about uh, Bryce Harper and Jason Worth and talk about uh, Korean baseball. For those who don't know, type in like Korean baseball umpire on Google. You should be able to see videos of it. Basically, in the Korean baseball league, what they're doing is they're implementing a system where umpires uh, who had several controversial calls when the game would be reviewed, and if they found that performance was subpar, they would be potentially demoted. So, you know, help them work on their skills and bring them back to the standard of legitimate competitiveness. So with that in mind, do you all think that it could be good having this kind of system brought into the MLB? And how do you think yeah. that? Mass? I mean, the biggest part is... I thought it was my turn. What the hell? Sorry. Anyways. <laughs> do you want to go? Yes, I would like to go. Oh my god. <laughs> you big baby. I mean, one edit later and suddenly I lose my place in line. That's oh my god, sorry. <laughs> Please talk about it. I have nothing to say about the topic. <laughs> I will say that like this is a step in the right direction about getting more impartial uh refing, but I'm still in the AIs will take over everything. I want an automated strike zone. That's fuck the demotions. Fuck the promotions of umpires from minors to majors, like in the season. I just want it to be as automated as possible, and then you would have an impartial viewer viewing the calls. Yeah, I mean, with with this, like going back to kind of the the subject at hand here with this promotion demotion thing. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately. The umpire, uh, what's it? Uh, Angel. No, 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 no. The uh, umpire association. I forget exactly what they're what they're called uh, for their official name, but they would have a fit with it. That's why the MLB has never done anything like this. That's why we still see, like you said, Andrew, Andrew Hernandez in leagues like this who have fucked up to astronomical proportions over and over and over again. That's all the only reason why these same umpires are in the league for 30 years because they can't get fired because they would throw a fit, essentially. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah uh, unions are, um, the, whether it be with the players or the umps, um, yeah. it's very hard to move the needle in a way where it doesn't benefit, you know, the people that they're representing when it's like such a big scale thing with like professional sports. So it definitely makes it difficult. I think if it like catches fire in the minors where it's still getting tested, then you kind of have to well, put it in the majors. Umpires go up and down. Like you, you move minor league single A, double A, triple A doesn't matter, but made like triple A to majors is the the final kind of jump. Oh yeah, I was talking about automation, but yeah, that too. Automation, yeah, oh, automated strikes. I'm still on that. <laughs> they are testing it on the miners. They it worked out terribly. It was so bad. They they 
that's that, always that, room for improvement. That, that that system's not anywhere close. Like they're still good at least five years before we even think about seeing. They 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 didn't test it in the minor leagues. They tested it in um some independent leagues. Um, did they really? Yeah. I thought they tested in like a yeah. Line. No, it was in independent leagues. Um, which is like I, do you know what an independent league is? Yeah. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know, it's basically just kind of like. You know the XFL. Um, it would be like that for the minor leagues, kind of like another. Yeah, there's just not a lot of money in it or anything really yeah, along it's, that. It's like you're playing at like high school baseball yeah. fields, maybe some college fields, but other than that, like it's. But anyways, they they did try it. It, it was so bad. They were calling the AI was calling strikes like that were four inches off the plate and balls that were right down the middle. I don't know. So I feel like yet. the um, concept is good. It takes forever. Um, for it to get down um it was just taking it was making the game last so much longer the concept is good but it's still got a ways to go for it to really be perfected it's got to be perfected before we bring it up to the mob i also feel like there's no real like firepower behind the approach it's like people like thought it would be a good idea but if we had like all like the microsoft cloud bullshit that's going on about testing and like keeping analytics up there like how it is in football and other sports like if we Football, had that. analytics, hello. Yeah, analytics. Baseball is the definition of analytics, yeah. my guy. Would you say? <laughs> would you say there's a Microsoft Cloud approach in baseball that's yes. in, that's as good as football? Analytics is baseball, dude. Right. Analytics is baseball. We just argue that automation isn't as good in baseball yet. Football doesn't have automa- automation. You dude. can't automate anything in football. You could at least automate the first down marker. They're still bringing out chains to call a first down. Come on. Well, yeah, yeah. but that's just kind of bullshit because it takes forever to get anything rules changed in the NFL. There is no union stopping anything. The MLB. <laughs> it takes but forever. There isn't even a union in place. There's people just don't care enough. Well, there is a ref union because remember yeah. the fucking replacement refs? Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> fucking powerless. You thought the players' union had no teeth to it? The refs' union, like, barely exists. So yeah, the players' union definitely has some some. I don't know, dude. It feels like owners are still pushing that thing, but I think we're kind of getting sidetracked. I mean, but yeah, no, I mean you're you're right a little bit. But uh, going back to the original topic of demotion or, or promotion, yeah, it, I don't I don't think we ever see that in the MLB just because of that. Um, I would, I'm sure fans would I think love it. Would sure players, a lot. Would, players would love it. The umpire union would never go for it. Like you would have to, there'd be a lot to give that the MLB would have to give the umpires for them to go for something like that. Especially when we are going to most likely see automated umpires within, I would say, twenty years within that. So a lot of these umpires are going to be out of jobs pretty soon here. Yeah. Um, so there, there'd be a lot that they have to give up, and I don't think MLB's willing to give that up. Nick, any final thoughts? Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right, that's fine. We can move on. He talks about classic responses from Nick. Yeah, the last dance, the last two episodes of uh, the series uh, are on Sunday. We're recording this on a Friday. Um, this is a fantastic documentary series for anyone that's a sportsman or anyone that just enjoys good documentaries. I highly recommend checking this out on ESPN or Netflix if you're international. Um, it's really good. And use your VPN, boys. Use your VPN, boys. Um, but there's a couple things I wanted to call out, actually. So when MJ left the Bulls and then retired and then re-signed with the Wizards, 
Mark Cuban actually tried to sign him, which was an interesting fact. Um, but I mean, he definitely he went. He ended up going to the Wizards instead and had a had a fantastic career there before he ultimately retired. The Cubes. Yep. Yeah, I'm not surprised Mark Cuban did that. He's he's a big showman. He would sign a guy like that. Like, I mean, Cuban does have an NBA championship under his belt with the Mavs. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad owner. I'm just saying he he'll, he'll make the big splashes. Of course. He, he's a big fan of the big splashes. I mean, who's, I mean, who's the bigger? There's no bigger splash than Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I am none too surprised that Mark Cuban went after a guy like that. Rumor has it that Dan Snyder was trying to sign Michael Jordan to the Redskins. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, fuck anything he wants to, man. <laughs> Stick him at quarterback for all I care. Put him at long snapper. He can still impress. He's going to take it. He just completely wrecked the rest of the playoff, and they went back and asked him, "Like, is that really that player actually really did?" And I don't know. So, so my make up like ways to get competitive. Hey, that's I mean, that's a good idea. That's fine. Like, you got to motivate yourself somehow. So, that's fair. Gotta, I mean, like, he, he probably just tricked himself into thinking that it was until it wasn't anymore. So, I mean, that's a solid way to do it. I feel like just watching the documentary, seeing how at heads Michael Jordan was with Jerry Krause. Michael Jordan is a butt head. Oh, God. That would be. Let's be honest. Bruce Allen is a butt head kind of guy. Like, yeah. the whole Trent ordeal was yeah. definitely like something. It was just like Bruce Allen like, put his foot yeah, down. Yeah, it would be Michael Jordan like, like gunning into Michael Jordan going to Snyder's office and then Snyder telling Bruce Allen to fuck off. That would be what would be happening. Yeah, yeah. The owner was fine. Michael Jordan's father goes in and says that Michael Jordan can't run these plays because it'll put him in injury. I mean, it's also like you're comparing Michael Jordan. He's Michael Jordan's um, father. You're comparing Michael Jordan, one of, if not the best basketball players of all time, to Trent Williams, who's not even in the conversation, let's be honest. Well, Tom, I mean, that'd be like saying Tom Brady went, like, went to Dan Snyder and bitched about Bruce Allen. Like, that's the. Yeah, that's the difference there. Like, it's hard to compare a Michael Jordan to a Trent Williams. Pretty much, obviously. <laughs> I think I, I, it's too early for that. Right, but anyway, I want to talk about uh, Bradley Beal made some comments about social media, um, as well as something about like social media on social media, as well as <laughs> even even the moderators. Comments in the past um, about players on social media. With that being said, what are some expectations from players on how to handle themselves on social media? Come on, guys. I'm like so wishy washy about this. I mean, I know you are. That's why you're going to have the best perspective. Yeah, I, I I don't really care. I think they can say whatever they it's not, want. It's not a good perspective. I need to fire. <laughs> I mean, you're representing an organization, so you 
you know, you got to be careful about what you say. I think when you wade into political stuff, you know, you're going to end up pissing off like half of the fans of the team, regardless of where you are. So that's always something you got to be careful about. But I don't know. I'm like, they they can say whatever they want. I don't know. Fuck. I yeah, think. I at, mean, oh, can, no, actually, you can go on. Sorry. Yeah. I, I kind of agree. Like, they can say whatever they want unless they're not idiots about it. If it's if it's messing with the team chemistry, I think that's kind of you don't want to be saying that because it's not worth it. You t- you keep that sort of stuff in house. But I mean, players are going to get frustrated. They're going to speak their minds, and I'm not going to get mad at them for speaking their minds unless it's something like actually derogatory. Um, so. It's not a great move, but you can't tell a guy not to do it. Like, he's going to do what he wants, so. What about you? I think, like, within that locker room, people can be professional enough where political beliefs don't really get in the way. Like, you saw, like, the different personalities of Patriots and, like, all around the league, really, like, where it doesn't mesh. And I think that's just across all sports. But I think, as Chris mentioned, on social media, as long as you're not an idiot, about it and like really know what you're talking about and not just like going off in left field to like spite some people or get a rise. I think it's fine for players to even be a little uh, political advocate or like talk about the beliefs that they want um, and are like feel strongly about. And it's like, they don't really have to stick to sports in that sense. Yeah. I mean, also like Bradley Beal coming on the comments of that he's been, He's had a fantastic season, and he's surrounded by not the best team. So I can see how he would get frustrated with that, um, losing a solid amount of games when you feel like you're pretty much doing everything you can to win. It's tough. I I, I kind of get that he would go to social media and things like that. To, to and what, what, are we, what exactly was he tweeting? Was it the gun thing, or was it something team-related? Oh, yeah, I was talking about the grenade launcher thing. That's oh. what I thought we were talking about, but I don't know if there was something else. I mean, they were complaining a while back about their team. That um, too, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I thought that's what we were all talking about. But he was, he was a post. There was like a gun march or something. And he was posting, you know, you know, why do you need that around your? Uh, they had you know guys with like AR-15s and whatnot on their shoulders, and he was just posting like, "Yo, why do you need that?" And that you know, so I think also like grenade like, launchers. Like, why are you carrying yeah. grenade launchers? So, like, I thought that's what we were talking about. So, from the DC bikini bottom brain trust to the DC politics brain trust, I would say there's no difference. Yeah, I remember that was in a previous episode, my guy. All right, so it feels like we've exhausted basketball talk, unless uh, Varun Dottie, you have more talk about no, the Wizards. No, 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 I'm good. Uh, let's do Did we make good points, Varun? I need to know. Yeah, points made all around. <laughs> um, from your favorite DC sports analyst and friends. That's not saying much. Yeah. Okay, I don't, I don't put you above. Wow. <laughs> Can I be put up the burner account on Twitter? Um, but yeah, so we're going to move into one more topic inspired by text messages I received from Rahul at 7.30 in the morning. When I was literally waking up. Hey, the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning is the DC Sports Brain Trust podcast. But oh, yeah. I think 
about when I go to bed. Not my girlfriend, no. It's the DC Sports Brain Trust podcast. Can we say company shill? Company. <laughs> this is the ultimate shill. Anyway, uh, we were we'll session this morning with some one has to go scenarios, and we wanted to bring you some one has to go scenarios uh, with you all. Um, I feel like you all have more input on one versus the other because the second one is specifically targeted towards me. Um, but let's start with the first one with boxing. So one has to go in the conversation in terms of telling the story of boxing from when it began to current day. Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Mike Tyson, Floyd Mayweather. One has to go. Who do you take? I mean, you're obviously... Sorry. <laughs> All right. Okay. You obviously can't get rid of George Foreman because, let's be honest, the Foreman grill, here to stay. Like, let's be honest. That's, That's all I have to say about that. That's <laughs> no, no, you keep from Why yeah, do you think the grill is famous? <laughs> it's because he is famous. That's fair. <laughs> you keep George Foreman because of the grill. That's that's that's. No one is talking about Honestly, the Albert Hainsworth grill. Get rid of the other three. <laughs> no, I my hot take is that if one has to go, I would get rid of Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, even though that pay-per-view event was like, it brought so many people to watch something that they would never would have watched, and it was like the highest-growing pay-per-view like ever. Would you say that? that? Are you talking about Mayweather versus McGregor? No, Pacquiao. Pacquiao. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because because they because that was a fight that never happened, and but people, I think boxing fans. Like like hardcore boxing fans were saying that that fight should have happened like five years earlier because that was when that's when they were in their prime. But like it was still like a spectacle because like people were like oh, yeah. oh they got marketed like heavy hardcore. But like it, what I'm saying is that even though he has all had all of this happen towards him, he just hasn't had that impact for the wrestling world as Foreman Ali and Tyson. Oh sorry, that's our next topic. Anyway, Nick. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I agree, the boxing purists and me in general, I'm not a boxing purist, I'm not a big boxing guy, but um, it, it, one has to go when it's Ali, Foreman, and Tyson in there, Floyd Mayweather's got to go. I mean, he's he's more of an entertainer, and, yeah. you know, he's obviously, what, 51-0. and 0, um, You would actually say, like, he would say that he's the most technical well, out of them all. Well, he's a very defensive boxer, and people watch buy pay per views with him to watch him lose, and he never loses. Um, I, I think he's become more of a spectacle and an entertainer. I don't think I think the boxing purists would say if one has to go, you have to get rid of Floyd Mayweather when there's Mike Tyson, Foreman, and Ali, who are just. I mean, those are the guys that built the sport, you know. And Floyd Mayweather does really, really well for himself in the sport today. Um, and you know, I mean, he's obviously in the conversation for one of the best of all time, but people generally don't put Floyd in that conversation. And I, I feel, feel like, like with like all these one has to go scenarios, there's always that one that's put on there that no one is ever going to pick. Otherwise they're out of their minds. In this case, it's Ali. Like no one is ever going to put like, yeah, this guy, this person who is basically the George Washington of boxing. Did he make a grill, though? Did he make a grill? I just never got off the ground. Did he make a grill? No, he did not. There must be some merchandising. George Foreman grill. The Foreman grill. 
<laughs> I say fuck them all. Right. And don't say that Mike Tyson's big marketing thing was punch out. Because we're not taking that in this yes, condo. You're right. That's why we keep Mike Tyson. It's for Mike Tyson punch out. Right. You know, um, they uh, like uh, videotaped him like actually playing that game, and he couldn't even beat Glastro. Like it was real bad. That's nuts. Um, but it, this is Rahul is foaming at the mouth for this, which is which is which is funny because. I am the wrestling fan of these four, and these guys are annoyed whenever I talk about it, which is fine. Do I get? Hey, I wouldn't say I'm annoyed by it. Why would you be annoyed at something that's imaginary? Woo! Oh, got me, got me. But yeah, so the next, which is weird because I sort of brought up so, this topic. So, so the next topic regards uh, professional wrestling, which of course is sports entertainment as opposed to sports, but that's okay. Um, it is still a athletic performance but we are talking about four gentlemen one has to go hulk hogan macho man randy savage the nature boy rick flair and the undertaker one has to go rahul i want to start with you since you were the one that wanted to just debate this with me who do you take out of these four? Oh, i would take rick flair out and the reason why we had this argument was that you wanted to take Hulk Hogan out for God knows why. Hulk Hogan is the reason why Hulkamania is a thing. Like, why there was just a huge cultural impact that Hogan had on that sport. And Hulk Hogan had 200 Make-A-Wishes. He was the original John Cena of Make-A-Wish. He's just had such an impact on kids, on people watching him. Like, forget all that somewhat questionable actions that just taken after his wrestling career but he brought down a media conglomerate called gawker he <laughs> did a lot of good things in society after that i think you have to credit him like you he is he is a can't miss on the one must go he has to stay whereas rick flair that he was he's straight up a better wrestler than Hulk Hogan, but I mean, has he had that impact that Hulk Hogan has on wrestling as we know it? Literally, one of the top songs in the country at one point was about Ric Flair. You never saw that about Hogan. Thank you. So this is where this is my time. Because but I have you know. seen the rap battle with Hulk Hogan and God King Kong? I think was that like way they acting like you were going off the rails. <laughs> Here's. I say I take Hogan out because if you actually dive into the history... With a sniper rifle or a date on a date? <laughs> I don't think you can take out Hulk Hogan with a sniper rifle. This is out of these four. I'm going to break it down real quick. I'll, I'll make it as quick as I can. That's no, fine. With, with, with Randy Savage, you have the Macho Man. He's an iconic character of professional wrestling. And you Not for that Skyrim. Easily, you could have easily thrusted him into that top guy role that Hogan had 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 that Rogan, had Hogan had in the 80s. Now, Hulk, now the only reason Hulkamania is a thing is because Vince wanted it to be a thing. Vince is notorious for pushing guys to just astronomical heights. Will it work out in the case of Hulk Hogan? Yes, it did work out. Will it work out in the case of a Roman Reigns? Of course, it did not work out. But I saw a tweet with this on Moscow and it was just four pictures of Roman Reigns. <laughs> 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 um, but, 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 but Hulk Hogan is... 
yes, he is an, he is an absolute icon in professional wrestling. Hulkamania is one of the staples of 80s pop culture. But from a wrestling perspective, the other three guys are just better. I think Randy Savage is the better character, personally. Uh, and you could have easily thrust him into that top role. Um, Ric Flair is also the better wrestler and had the better character, the nature boy, the cocky, you know, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. And his gimmick has, has seeped into modern day pop culture and that you have a lot of like popular artists, like, you know, flexing on social media, flexing, like, you know, the big houses, big cars, whatever. And that kind of stemmed in a sense, not, not completely from flair, but flair played a huge part in that. And Ric Flair was the original person to flex all of that stuff as part of his gimmick as the nature boy. And with the undertaker, that's just the greatest character that WWE has ever produced. Um, you Again, that's like the bringing up Ellie in the previous example. It's like, there's always a character that's had in there. That's never yeah. going to be. So cool. taker doesn't have like the overall, cause like Hogan, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, they all wrestled all over the world. Like, they wrestled in Japanese promotions. They wrestled in, like, Mexico. They wrestled everywhere. Undertaker was, like, the first, like, WWE-specific product. Yes, he had brief stints in, like, WCW and everything, but he did not get national, international recognition until he joined WWE, and Vince McMahon made him... And Vince McMahon made Mark Calloway, which is his real name, to The Undertaker. And it is so fucking weird seeing uh, Undertaker doing out-of-character interviews. But the re... The reason I pick Hogan is because though is because the other three guys are so ingrained in professional wrestling culture that it is hard to take them out of it. Whereas, yes, Hogan was the catalyst to propel wrestling from like this niche nerdy thing into legitimate pop culture. But from a from a not 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 a full on hardcore fans perspective, but a fans perspective. It is difficult to say that I want to keep Hogan up there considering the other three on the list and the 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 influence that these other three have had on professional wrestling as a whole. I think you're mainly disqualifying him because he's a shitty person. No, they're all shitty people. Are you kidding me? Oh, much better. Randy Savage isn't that shitty. Well, they're, they're, they're different stories of Savage. Really? Yeah, yeah they're, they're like they're not gonna be I feel like Randy Savage is probably the most family friendly out of them. Randy Savage, you know, Hulk Hogan is the most family friendly gimmick, but there's tons of stories. I mean, what came out? First of all, he died. (laughs) This is this is before the Gawker thing. He was notorious. Reputable news source. He was he was notorious for denying wrestlers reunion in the '90s. There was a case of I think it was actually Savage that went to potentially almost get a union for wrestlers so that way they were able to negotiate better pay, health benefits, everything that they want other than this independent contractor status on today. And Hulk Hogan shut it down because he's that loyal to Vince. And Vince being the ruthless capitalist that he is was like, yo, I'm shutting this down completely. Um, And when it comes down to, and also the Gawker thing, you know, Hogan coming out being a complete and utter racist but once again you could probably say that for all four of these guys um remember but at the end of the day it's just it's really tough for me to keep hulk open in the conversation considering the other three because i think the other three in terms of bringing actual influence onto professional wrestling in terms of is more significant than necessarily hoping like i feel like you could have trusted the giant in that top spot 
could have thrusted no Savage into that top spot. You could have thrusted Roddy Piper into that top spot. Chris Benoit, who was... I don't know why I was saying we're going Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Who was the wrestler 15 to 20 years after that? Same with Kurt Angle, but that's fine. That's Wait, weren't they the same era? Benoit and Angle, yes. Yeah. They, were, they, were, they were late 90s, early 2000s. That's, mm-hmm. that's what they were in their, in their prime as wrestlers. But I'm talking specifically in the 80s when you had guys shoot up to the top spot. Guys like, like I said, Andre the Giant. Randy Savage, Roddy Roddy Piper, Ultimate Warrior, who actually is a shittier person than Hogan. There, there are stories of like Ultimate Warrior like denying kids autographs and like not showing up like after he promised kids like he would see them backstage like sign autographs. To be fair, that's kind of funny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty terrible, but it's also pretty funny. You did not believe in me. Bruin, my ass is sore. Let's wrap it up. Oof. Oh my goodness, your ass is sore? That's, that so sense. let's uh, wrap up the DC Sports Podcast. Yeah. Sitting. Even sitting. All right, well. DC Bikini Bottom Podcast, DC Wrestling Podcast. What's the difference? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's no difference. Anyway, thank you for doing this as a topic. I'm right. I'm right. I'm 100%. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the DC Sports Ring. My name is Drew. I've been your host and moderator. Join the host my three favorite analysts, Chris, Nicole, and Nick. Uh, be sure to like us on Facebook as well as follow us on social on uh, on Twitter. Um, we'll have those handles in the description of the episode. Um, thank you once again for listening to us, and we hope to see you all next week.